Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Failure Peace Theater. I am your amiable co-host, Tim, and joining me as always is... Catherine. And this time, we're back to discuss a, a new release, a relatively new release, I suppose. It made the festival circuit last year, but has recently found its final home destination on Shudder, the it's streaming forever. service for all things horror. Just like a rescue um, dog. That's right. Every rescue dog needs a forever home, and Shudder's always going to be there <laughs> Play horror trash until it's not um, there. <laughs> until it's not. Until AMC goes like, "Hey, wait, why are we? Are we paying for this with money? What?" Uh, and of course, what we're talking about is Skinnamarink. Um, yes, that song that Sherry used to sing on Lamb Chop is now a horror film for your perusal. Um, Skinnamarink, uh, directed by uh, oh, what's his name? Kyle, Kyle Edward, Edward Ball. Uh, yes, Kyle Edward. No, it's it's Ball actually. Is it Ball? Kyle Edward. It's Ball. Yeah, Kyle Edward Ball, a a YouTuber, a short film YouTuber who has uh, spent the last several years crowdsourcing ideas via YouTube, asking for people's uh, dreams, memories, um, strange occurrences, and then sort of filming those into short little film projects. So an experimental filmmaker. Um, the word or term avant-garde will often be thrown around. I don't know how accurate that is in this case, but he certainly is a filmmaker who, at least for Skinnamarink, is operating outside the sort of normal horror conventions, if we want to put it that way. Uh, this film was a TikTok sensation. Um, like every great the, thing in the world. Like every great thing in the world, it was exploded by the power of the tickers and the talkers and uh skinnamarink was was leaked you can't see how hard i'm finger quoting right now but <laughs> i'm finger quoting very hard that this film was leaked from a convention appearance via digital file somehow and i'm again i'm very hard quoting found its way onto tiktok in brief form and uh, and sort of took off from there because TikTok is very good. It's it's a, a platform that's well designed for, oh, I stuck my phone out my window at 4 a.m. And here's this weird thing that I th that it recorded in my backyard. Watch it on loop for 20 minutes or whatever. And then, you know, move on about your day. And, and this is the perfect film for that platform because there are moments. There are snatches, brief dalliances with horror throughout Skinnamarink. Um, but as, as we'll probably get into and, and based on some of our discussion prior to recording, it, I'm not sure it works as a whole film. And I know you feel similarly. Would I be correct in that assessment? You would. I, I was initially really excited about this because I love, I mean, as we've talked about, I love short, horror i i love internet horror if that can be a word like i i actually mm -hmm. do follow i am cursed with the burden i have to have a tiktok for for work actually i have to spend time on tiktok but mm -hmm. i always find myself going back to um short form horror content i like all that backrooms shit and and the liminal spaces stuff so like i am kind of embedded in this type of of filmmaking um 
However, I now realize that I think that's where this type of filmmaking should stay. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's an opinion that's sort of been brewing as as some of these like lo-fi horror movies have been getting more traction. Um, but uh, but this one has kind of pushed me in one direction finally. Yeah, uh, I think we'll get into what Skinnamarink is, but I, I don't think Skinnamarink is a product of a very specific kind of horror, filmed horror experience that really, as we've talked about in, in other horror venues, mostly with you know things like Blair Witch, evolved out of, I mean, it, creepypasta. Like, that's where these came from, right? Like, snatches of video, snatches of film, strange experiences that can't be explained, sort of like captured in these brief moments and then shared online, you know, via message boards and, and obviously things like YouTube now. And so Skinnamarink is, it owes a tremendous debt to those things because in many ways they egalitized horror, right? Like they put crafting horror into the hands of the people in a way that prior to Blair, Witch, I don't think people considered possible right whereas Blair Witch comes in and says like two people in the woods with a camera can make a horror movie if you know what you're doing and so like it it sparked this experience right so Ball um, came onto the scene he's been around again a while right you know mid mid 2010s 2015 2016 he's he's out there finishing film school starting projects he out there (laughs) he out there just so out there but (laughs) He he put up a short in 2020 called Heck, Heck. that was supposedly based on a, a real experience that he had as a child waking up. His mother's television is on. He's, um, you know, navigating through the house as a child. He's terrified. The lighting, the darkness, the, you know, the camera was very specifically positioned at kid level height. Right. So, like, there, there's all of this very... Again, the term avant-garde will be thrown around, but really it's just sort of like he has an idea, he has a theme, a concept, and he just is sort of running at that at full speed. And so, and, you, know, and you, you know, we do have to point out that for how viral this movie has become, he did not really attain viral status by by numbers. <laughs> um, no, no. Because that video, heck only has 280,000 views on YouTube, which is, I mean, that's great. But, you know, you think in, in terms of virality, it still wasn't that big. So, I mean, it's good on him that this movie has blown up the way that it has. Yeah, and, and if you go back and watch Heck, which is freely available on YouTube, you can, there are a couple channels still hosting it. It It is the prototype for Skinnamarink. Um, he's not doing as much with, the aesthetics, but it is very much like, you know, there's a flashlight attached to the camera. You're walking around doing things like that. If anything, it's, it's more fluid and closer to that sort of self-made creepypasta ideal than Skinnamarink is. Skinnamarink is much more locked down as an experience. It's, it's doing some different things, but the core concept is the same child alone in the home. What, what's going on? 
right? Um, so, you know, we we talked briefly about creepy pasta, you know, which you know, obviously the biggest thing to come out of that into pop culture was like Slender Man, Marble but, Hornets. Like I always, yeah. instead of saying Slender Man, I always like to say Marble Hornets because right. Slender, Slender Man, Man the, like the went be bigger and and beyond. But I did, I really did like Marble Hornets, and I did watch the whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. We were talking about that before we got started on the recording, and I have really great memories of watching it. And it, you know, we like you and I always come back to the Blair Witch Project on this podcast, like it's a touchstone. Um, mm-hmm. And it was that, for horror. Like again, yeah. it's easy to forget how big that movie was, but it was crazy, like crazy. And uh, similarly, you know, Marble Hornets kind of gave me the same feels where I'm like, ah, this is how I felt the first time I saw Blair Witch. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, that that is why I'm drawn to this sort of thing, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, you know, let's we'll cover the basics of what it is before we sort of do the breakdown. There's not really a ton to talk about. The vast majority of this film and this is not a dig, but it is a statement of fact, is open space. Like, this is not a movie where each shot, not that not each shot doesn't have purpose, but this is not adhering to the standard narrative film conventions that you would expect, right? I started off watching this film, treating it somewhat like some paranormal activity piece of shit, you know, where there's this dark hallway obviously there's going to be a shadow or glowy eyes at the end of it or something like that this is not that movie not even close to that movie right this is i mean it is it is trying to create a very specific vibe with what amounts to basically still images a little bit of sound effects very infrequent dialogue and absolutely not absolutely, but really no characters on screen at all, right? We never see a face in this film until a key moment. And that's very intentional, right? Now, yeah. part of that is, is that I, this, is, this is a film that is openly and, and very obviously trying to recreate what it feels to be in that liminal space between sleep and waking, right? Yeah. This is this is very much a dream, you know, nightmares and dreamscapes kind of thing. And specifically, like, that experience for a child. Yes. Everything is framed through the perspective of a child. Most of this film is is static shots of hallways and, and ceilings and, you know, spots inside a home from the definitive perspective of, let's say, a five-year-old child. And and right. like I think you know maybe you could speak more to this because you're you have a bit more experience with things like child development, but I feel like it's a fairly universal experience as a child to have those moments where I don't know I don't know if this is a cognitive thing or or what, but you have periods where you could be sort of in between dream states and and waking. I like I, I feel like that's that happened more when I was a kid or or it at least I formed memories of it when I was a kid. I don't know, but I, I feel, and, and what I've read, especially in response to this movie, it seems like that's a very universal experience. 
from from again, I'm not a doctor. I, I do have a <laughs> We are not a, doctors. <laughs> I do have a, a baccalaureate degree in psychology, so I mean take that for what you will. Um I am not a, a clinical counselor, but our understanding of how the brain develops neurologically throughout childhood, many of the systems that regulate things like sleep and dreaming are very much still sort of cooking in yeah. our youth, which is at least one of the theoretical reasons why sleepwalking is far more common in children than adults. Yeah. Um, uh, things like night terrors, things like sleep paralysis. Generally, these are these are childhood and and early to mid adolescent concerns, and and the theory behind that would be is because neurodevelopment is ongoing. Those systems, those hormonal regulatory systems, the the chemical functions inside the brain, all of them are still very much in flux and nothing is set in stone yet as far as a regular you know, sleep cycle, circadian rhythm. All of that stuff is still sort of up in the air. So, so yes, there, there is a sort of shared and common experience of waking up in the middle of the night, being fully awake, the house is dark, the house is quiet, and then having a sensory experience that probably includes things that don't have direct explanations, right? We've all woken up in the house in the middle of the night and heard the sounds, right? The creaking, the crackling, the, the settling, the moaning, right? The, the things, uh, you know, that, that go on in houses just because they're these huge structures and they're kind of shitty. But what our brains do with those perceptions as adults is we rationalize them. We say, Oh, well, I know that's the house settling, but when you're five or six or seven and you don't have any of that, worldview they're monsters they're evil right there are sounds from another room that are you know people talking but it's muffled and it's muted and it's terrifying right and so a lot of what bell uh, ball is doing here is bringing kind of all of those things and again he's been making short films about this kind of stuff forever right like this has been his primary sort of film activity for the last half decade He's trying to synthesize all of those experiences down, obviously filter it through his own experience, which again, heck is supposedly um, an expression of a personal experience he had. And, and many of the pieces of heck that sort of work well have been translated directly to Skinnamarink. You know, but those experiences and replicating those experiences, while I think they do if you remember those, or if you have access to those, they are going to hit you and hit you hard. Yeah. But I think the issue that we're both having with it is that this doesn't really play as, as a, as a horror experience, right? Like not, not it didn't for me. Um, now it could have been different if I was in a darkened movie theater fixated solely on the screen. I, I honestly don't, I think this film would be intolerable in that setting. <laughs> um, I just don't think I could watch it for that long. I might've been more invested, but I really don't know if I would have been able to sit through it because there are just so many long stretches of here is a dark hallway. Nothing is moving. Nothing is happening. No, again, that's, that's an effective technique when used in moderation. And oh, sure. balanced Every good horror out. movie should do that. Yeah, yeah, and balanced out with other things. Um, 
But this, it seemed like that was the only thing that the movie had going for it was just, there's something in that doorway, maybe. Right. But you can't see it. But you you can't see it. (laughs) It's, it's horror via implication and natural fear. Like that's, that's really what it's doing is, is it's preying upon the natural fear the natural fear of a dark hallway, the natural fear of a door opening across from you and you don't know who's on the other side, right? These are all very primal, very easy to access fears. And, you know, they're effective. And again, if you are invested in, in what's going on, they can certainly uh, do a lot, but they, they work better in the the well his his channel name his youtube channel is called bite size nightmares and i feel like that is the perfect way to sum up a movie like this like this needs to be a bite-sized skinnamarink (laughs) (laughs) um right i mean this is a king-sized skinnamarink and we really need a fun-sized (laughs) skinnamarink yeah um snickers should have come in and uh and done the fun size version (laughs) And in many ways, again, heck is the fun size version because it's yeah. only about a half an hour. This is, this is a full two hour runtime film. Like let's make no bones about it in, in shorter format. I think this film would, would work much better for me if for sure. Um, but this hits a full two hour runtime. And, and again, most of these are, are static shots where not a ton is happening. Um, not to say nothing is happening. There are certainly things happening. If you're invested in, what's going on you will read a lot into it but this is also a film that is trying to achieve a very specific aesthetic like it wants desperately to look like a film from the 1970s um at least that's the closest i can feel the the aesthetic of the home is from the 1970s uh, or at least close to it and so he is heavily overlaid with filters and filters that are, I mean, I guess it's film grain is really what he's going for. It's like just heavy, heavy film grain, like 16 millimeter film grain laid over the top of it. And it creates a lot of movement inside the frame because there are no true blacks. Everything's just kind of a washed out gray. And so you'll perceive movement or activity or action really where there isn't any. Right. So, you know, that, too, is kind of a smart thing, because, again, horror has trained us to look in those dark hallways and expect at the last second to see a thing. Right. The that super long shot in The Exorcist three in the in the hospital hallway where just like it's just this nurse walking around doing the hospital thing. And then all of a sudden, dude, with you know, two giant scissor comes out and, and wrecks her face, you know, like that's. That's what horror is trained us to do. And Skinnamarink isn't really interested in doing any of that stuff. Yeah. And I don't think that's bad per se, but it does create an experience where you're constantly on edge waiting for something to happen. And then I'm going to say 97% of the time, nothing does. Yeah. It just moves to the next shot. So again, almost all of the really super positive reviews that I've read for this include the phrase, if you're into what the movie is doing. And I feel like that's telling, right? Because yeah. that basically means that you, 
I mean, you should accept every film on its own terms, right? It don't, if possible, don't go into a movie saying, I demand it be this thing before you know what it is. That's a, a good way to watch movies. But with this one, it wants you to be scared. It wants you to feel fear and that sense of oppression. But it's not really doing anything to earn that. Right? It's kind of putting all of that work on the viewer. Right, you've got to bring your own shit to the screen in order to be afraid. And I can't say that's bad. Uh, it's certainly riskier because you can't <laughs> craft. You're not crafting horror there. You're just allowing horror to manifest out of an image and a sound. And and that's you know if you want to call that avant garde, I suppose you can. Um, you know, a lot of people have been comparing this film to uh, the works of David Lynch. You know, some I've seen some people compare it to Kubrick, which I think is like, what? <laughs> what are you talking That's about? That's extreme. Uh, yeah, like, because Kubrick was the craftsman, right? He's the kind of guy that would, yes, you're going to look at the long, dark hallway for a minute, but then at the end, something will happen, right? Like, there will yeah. be a thing, you know? But I, again... I, I think you said it really well before we started. This movie is much more interested in creating an aesthetic and a vibe yeah. than it is a crafting a movie. Yeah. Right. Like it's, it's like I said, well, it's, it's fine, but <clears throat> it's not, it's not a film in the traditional sense. Cause there's no characters, there's no action, there's no plot. And in that, in that respect, because it is aesthetic, because it is vibes, it does feel very modern you know, it is, it's something that we haven't true. seen before. Like it's, it's taking that, you know, I don't know how old this guy is, but his name is Kyle. So I'm assuming he's younger than I am. <laughs> <laughs> All Kyles must be younger than me. Like, I'm just, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Um, but I, this fits in with, um, I don't know, maybe it was a, a bit of a tangent before we got started. I mentioned that there was a, a YouTuber named uh, Mina Lee, or I think that's her name. She had a video where she was talking about um, the idea of aesthetics and why that word is being used in, in current, not just fashion, it's more than fashion, um, but in like self-presentation, especially online, especially in social media. Um and she said, you know, it used to be that you had a look or or like if you were a punk in the 80s, you also shared an ideology um, or like a set of values with punk as a concept. And now you can kind of take from any um, look or any uh, vibe or any any feel from any of these past, you know, movements and, and ideologies and just take the aesthetic, the, the surface level stuff. And that's, that's one of the reasons that that word really does fit for what's happening here. And I feel like Skinnamarink is taking the aesthetic of some other horror, but it doesn't have any of the ideology behind it. It doesn't have anything that is significant to like the the horror movement or the genre or the way it's built over the years over the decades 
it feels a bit hollow. But that's not as nasty of a criticism as I think it sounds like it is. Like, I'm not hating on it when yeah. I say that. It's just, no. it's kind of like these younger people who are adopting the look of something without the ideology. It's not a bad thing, but it's definitely not something that I'm used to. Yes, this is this is not... This isn't a film that I think you could walk into without kind of knowing in advance what it was trying to do and, and, and be taken aback by it. I, I, maybe, maybe like, it really depends. Like this is, this is almost that old, like, you know, not every joke is going to land with every person. Like this movie might hit some people really hard and then other people's, I think it will bounce off immediately. Um, I sort of get, you know, again, this is not an issue of where it's like, I don't get it. Like, no, I get yeah. it. Like, I, that's, there's nothing in this film to get, right? It's it's long, unbroken shots punctuated with minimal action, very specifically chosen to craft an experience that is haunting and disturbing and disruptive, right? Um, I mean, I know we talk about Silent Hill on here a lot. But like, this is what video games do. Right. Like you walk down the hallway for five minutes and nothing happens. And then all of a sudden, spooky monster, scary thing, crashing sound, weird voice cue. You know, like this, this is, this is how like non curated horror works. Cause that's what video games are. Video games are non curated horror. It's horror created by an experience, by a location, by movement. And then the, you know, people who are good at crafting those kinds of video games, they know how to build those scares in. And the best thing I can think of is it's the difference between Silent Hill, which is a single person walking into this frightening experience with no understanding what's going on. And like the Callisto protocol, which is a, a bold spaceman space manning his way through space monsters by beating them to death with a wrench. Right. Like one of those is a horror experience that is entirely dependent upon how you invest yourself in the world and how much time you're willing to spend. The other one is spooky thing jumps out of corner, hits you in the face, does damage, causes problems and, and etc. right. It's like this very obvious versus very non-obvious kind of thing. This is non-obvious, right? You, you're just watching a bunch of kids walk around in their pajama pants for like an hour and a half. And you're really just seeing <laughs> like, their feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just see their feet, the little, you know, their, their, their the little, little onesies, pajamas. you know, their little feety pajamas. Um, so I guess, well, the story, if, if you, if you can call it that is very simple, right? Um, basically these two kids, um, a sister and a brother wake up in the middle of the night, their father is gone and, uh, they basically just sort of decide to like hang out in the living room. They watch television. The only soundtrack to this film are class cartoons, which is exactly similar to heck. Even some of the same cartoons are used and they're all public domain. That's why. <laughs> and, and so that's the only soundtrack to the film. And it also provides the inspiration for the sort of heavily filtered blown out lighting circumstance of the film is that it, it's everything in, in the home at a certain point is either illuminated via flashlight or via television screen. So it's 
it's that that heavily almost like photo light sensitive right like i could i could definitely see people who had who were prone to to bad reactions to flashing lights like not being able to watch this movie because there are huge chunks where it's just that um you know it it calls back to port to poltergeist it calls back to you know 1950s uh you know sort of big console tv you know movie watching experiences so I, i'm i'm impressed by all of the different layers that he brings into it but the story as it is is these two kids left alone and then there is a presence in the house right an undefined or at least ill-defined something that is in the house uh, it talks to them at various times via heavily filtered um, audio cues. The film occasionally uses subtitles to call <laughs> out specific dialogue, but not all the time, which again was a feature of Heck. It, um, it, this this movie has like a, a Christopher Nolan problem with the dialogue, though. If without those <laughs> subtitles, you, you won't know what's understand going it. on. Yeah. Like, um, I actually I mean, got an additional subtitle layer just to describe everything. And there were several points where there's more being said, but you don't have yeah. a subtitle for it. There's no subtitle for it. A lot of the things that the creature or the entity, whatever, says is unsubtitled in the film. But it tends to be more clear. But then there are lots of dialogue from the kids that are, is unsubtitled and is not clear. Yeah. So it's, it, again, it doesn't feel like it, he's using the subtitles to actually convey important story bits. It's really more just sort of calling things out. And then the subtitles themselves, I mean, they're all in lower case. They're, they're, you know, they themselves are part of this aesthetic. Now there is some some dialogue. I, I guess we're going to move into sort of semi spoiler territory here, in case you haven't seen Skinnamarink at all, and you don't want to have the initial experience sort of you know spoiled for you. There is a a very specifically called out piece of dialogue at the beginning of the film. So everything starts up. There we hear crying. Um, there is a, a person sitting at the top of a stairway. Then we go to the bottom of the stairway and we hear crying. You know, there was some thumping noises, some sounds. And then there is a phone call. We see the phone being taken off the hook. And um, the presumably the father makes a phone call to someone to say that Kyle, who is the younger child, um, I mean, again, the name of the director, so you can read whatever you want into that has fallen down the stairs. He, his sister told the dad that he was sleepwalking and he's hurt himself. Right. But he, the dad says that it wasn't bad enough to require stitches. Implying head injury. Right. So there's lots of ways to read this film, right? The most straightforward, you know, just, totally straight you know just this is what's happening kids wake up mysterious stuff dad's gone the the one of the cool tricks that he does do visually is is uh, all the doors and windows disappear and so he has a couple of of very 70s shots where it's just like there's a shot of a window and then there's a shot of the exact same location but now it's just a wall right like it's just gone and there's even that one shot i actually kind of laughed when it happened uh like the patio door or something goes away 
and and it he even uses that like 70s like whoop sound <laughs> like, whoop. That, was, that got me and too I, where i was like i was oh, like oh neat all right that's what we're doing all right <laughs> You know, because like, you know, if you go back and watch a lot of tele, like cheap television from the 70s, you know, like kids shows and stuff would do that kind of stuff all the time. Like, you know, just all of a sudden to be like, oh, where's Mr. So-and-so? And then he would just like pop into existence via, a you know, cut. And they would add some goofy sound effect, like, Doop, you know, or whatever. And it was one of those. And I was like, whoa, all right, cool. Um, but so, I mean, it's, it's this very creepy circumstance. There's a lot being done here with lighting and the absence of lighting, you know, the, the lighting condition in the house changes as the film goes on. Um, but so the, the base read is that there truly is the parents have been, you know, disappeared by this thing, this entity, it wants the children and it is slowly trying to quote unquote play with them over the course of this night as things get darker and more terrifying inside the house. So that's one read. And I think it's a perfectly acceptable read to my, from what, based on my limited reading through reviews and reactions, that's the one that most people have taken. The other read given this opening dialogue between the father and and the unnamed individual is that this is some, uh, some sort of concussed, you know, fever dream. Right, that, yeah. that Kyle is actually injured badly. Is it Kevin? It's Kevin. It's Kevin. You're right. I mean, um, who cares? I mean, again, he's Some said in interviews that it's it's him and his sister. Like the ages. <laughs> this is everything. me, and I fell down the stairs. I'm the downstairs <laughs> kid. Um, but you know, so Kevin is 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 injured, and you know, this is the result of that injury that he is 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 slowly sort of. I mean, dying in his sleep, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, so that's take, you know, the other, uh, a lot of people have read abuse into this, um, that this is, this is a metaphor for the abusive father. Um, there's certainly a read here where, you know, maybe the father is calling the mother on the phone because we never see the mother. Like we, it's we implied because you see her briefly in the beginning. It's implied that she's left and that they are right. Getting a divorce. They're divorced. You know, so again, that's another sort of emotional tangent that you could run down in this film. The sense of abandonment, the loneliness, the being torn between the voice of the father, the voice of the mother, which if you listen to a lot of the voices of the entities, it's layered male and female voices and other effects. So, I mean, there's there's certainly some things to do here. And and that's what's great about filmmakers who break with film convention and are not necessarily just giving us the cinema verite of a moment, right? That's why David Lynch is a fascinating filmmaker, because he builds ambiguity into his work by its design. And and he leaves that that ambiguity there so that you can sort of take the film where you need to take it. And this film is doing that to a certain extent, but without the watchability, I guess, and without the intentionality of a, of a David Lynch for me, like Lynch always knows what he's doing and why he's doing the things that he's doing. Right. Especially when it comes to camera, whereas this feels just more sort of haphazard. Right. And by its very nature, it would have had to be, they filmed it in three days, you know, you know, yeah, three days I mean, I mean it, for 15 grand Canadian, you know, it's like you're not going to be making, you know, you're not going to be setting up lighting for three and a half hours if you have three days to film the entire movie. That is you true. Know. 
you know, so I, I can't blame them. And, and there are some interesting little effects in this. There's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of shit on the ceiling in this house and, and they yeah. do a good job of planting that stuff and putting that stuff up there. Um, yeah, it, I don't know. I, I, I've talked for a long time, so I'm going to no, let you no, talk I, a little bit, well, but you know, it, it's just one of those things where I struggle I I struggle in, in in watching this and thinking about it and going back and reviewing parts of it. I struggle to see the point of all of the choices being made. I you know? do as well. Um and that <clears throat> that was kind of why I came to that conclusion about borrowing looks because I feel like this this is choices are being made but I guess they don't create a cohesive whole. I feel like, uh, yes. Yeah. I, I feel like there's, there's a lot of vibes, you know, I just keep going back to that word. There's just a ton of it. <laughs> and I don't, I don't hate that. Um, yeah. but to what end I find myself wondering, um, could you have done more with this? And and I know that there's, you know, again, $15,000, three days. <clears throat> you don't have a lot of options. Like, he didn't have actors. No one is in this movie. Like, we, we see children's feet, but, but they're not acting. They're mm. just being told to stand here, walk here. Say this line, yeah. Well, and, and they're not even saying their lines. He, he revealed in some interview that, that it's all ADR, all of it. Oh, sure. Yeah. Which makes perfect sense. Um, mm -hmm. But without that engagement, I think that's what bothered me the most is that it's not engaging. Um, and that might be why it's so excruciating to watch at points where it's just <laughs> like, oh, my God, I can't right. handle this if it goes on any longer. Um. Because we don't have any any connection point. Um, I know that child actors are very difficult to work with. And when you have children on set, it's not like movies made in the 70s where you could get away with a lot of things that arguably you shouldn't have. Um, mm -hmm. Case in point, like today, uh, my partner said um, at lunch, he was like, I've never seen The Exorcist. And I just, I lit up. I was like, oh, oh man. Oh, brother. Yeah. Um, and he said, we could watch that. Do you have that? And, and it was like, you know, you know, just like when your heart flutters and I'm like, I've been waiting for this <laughs> moment. Uh, yes, I have the exorcist and yes, we will watch it. Uh, so we did, we watched the exorcist this afternoon and that movie very famously has a child actor at the, as the star mm -hmm. and it's a long movie. It's over two hours, but it doesn't feel two hours long. It, right. it feels swift, but it also, it's incredibly foreboding. It has incredible atmosphere. It has vibes in spades sure. it may even be one of the original vibe horror movies where it just it it drips atmosphere and it has a lot of 
lingering takes. And, you know, famously, it has things hidden in shadows and, and those, you know, did I see what I think I saw kind of moments. And I so wish that this movie had a bit more of that, especially when it comes to just characters. Yes. Because that's yeah. that's what I, I discovered I was really missing. Like, I thought about Skinamarink a lot while we watched that today, because I, I, I kind of figured we would talk about the movie. And uh, that's just, that's what I kept going back to, was like, man, I just, I wish, I wish we had had a person or, or a figure or, I don't know, just some faces to look at. <laughs> like, even just some reaction shots or, or something that... That would give, I don't know, more of a sense of humanity. Because I didn't get a lot of that. Despite there being people in it. Yes. Yeah, there, there's no character to hang your hat on. There's no one to identify with. Because almost everything is POV shots from the perspective of the characters. So you know the characters are there. They do have brief conversations. You see their, their you know, ones Little feeties. <laughs> um, you know, so they're you can connect with them, but it does put you at a remove from yeah. involving yourself with them as you would with an actor giving a traditional performance. It just limits that experience. And, and Again, limits given the his horror. constraints and it limits the horror, which very much so. Yes. You know, like um, there's a key scene, you know, sort of what, probably half an hour into the movie after, you know, the lights in the house go off, the, everything's illuminated by television or flashlight. They go upstairs, they find things on the ceiling, um, and then uh, Kaylee, the older sister, gets called upstairs by the presence, right? And she is is taken into the parents' bedroom. She sees her father sitting on the edge of the bed, not moving, no face visible, ensconced in shadow. The father... Someone says, presumably the father says, I need you to look under the bed. So she looks under the bed. Again, very sort of primal fear kid stuff. Looks under the bed, comes back up. The father is gone. The mother is there. The mother tell, insists that she close her eyes. She does. Then the mother disappears. And then we really get like the first, I don't even want to call it a traditional jump scare, but we get the first like thing coming out of the darkness. Something right? Instead actually of it just happens. Being darkness. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so again, you know, that scene works for me fairly well because it's it's this very clear, like, you know, stakes raised, stakes raised, payoff, right? Like the the more traditional sort of horror setup. So, but I mean, it's it's a half an hour to get to that scene. Like, yeah. Uh, like a half an hour to get to that scene. And again, if you're, if all you're worried about is vibe and aesthetic, then that's fine, right? Because you're just kind of embedded in the world. And it's it's effective in, in some ways, but I really feel like people coming into this movie expecting it to be a more traditional horror experience are going to be like pretty taken aback by what this movie is actually yeah. doing. Um, and not in, a, not in a good way, right? Although, again, I, you know, I'm, I find myself falling back on that reviewer phrase. If you like this kind of thing, you'll probably like this kind of thing. Um, like if you, and, and, if you, if you do drugs... 
like if you if you smoke a ton of <laughs> weed and you you sit down and you just want to watch the spooky thing, just vibe out. Yeah, it may, maybe this would work for you. I also feel like it would be ten times longer if you did that. But maybe, like maybe that's how you want to spend your Saturday night. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, it's hard to say. And I'm not I here to judge. One 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 actual thing that I had a problem with was the the filtering and and digital noise being added because this was shot on digital. Like they didn't use film cameras for this. No, that would be insanity. Um, so the digital filters being applied. If you are watching this via streaming service, you better have it at the highest quality possible. Yeah, because otherwise, like it it. I mean, it's it's supposed to look like shit. He wants it to look like shit. Like the that's part of the vibe. Yeah. But like the digital artifacting wreaks absolute havoc on on a streaming service, right? Like, like I can't imagine when this did leak to YouTube, watching this on YouTube, because YouTube does not handle that kind of thing well at all. Like its compression algorithm loses its goddamn mind. And so I, I really think that, you know, it would have been even more aggressive than it is. But, you know, watching it on my 65 inch TV in my living room, you know, via streaming service, like there were times when it was like, like it can't keep up. Like it just can't. It's no. just there's too there's too much subtle movement on the screen. There's nothing static that it can render out and then focus on other areas of the frame, which is what most compression algorithms try to do. And so it just it was it was kind of a weird experience. It wasn't it didn't detract from anything necessarily, but it, it was it's visually exhausting. Like it's yeah. it's exhausting to watch this because you are on edge most of the time, and you're also roving squinting. your eye around the screen. <laughs> yeah, like literally roving your eye around the screen to try and see what he might want you to see. I mean, this Be, you, know. you know this is anecdotal, but I I'm supposed to wear glasses. And I famously do not wear my glasses like ever. Um, I just don't. I, I, I take I take umbrage. I don't know. I just don't want to wear them. I don't want to do it. So I don't. Sure. And I should. Uh, I had to put my glasses on to watch this because nice. it was just I, it was ex, it was like you said, it's exhausting. Um, just squinting and holy shit, like, I, is there butter on this lens? Like, I just, I don't understand what I'm looking at. Um, the old butter lens trick. Yeah. That's where they get you. And I don't hate that, but I, I usually when I'm, I'm watching something that uses this kind of, like, grainy distortion, it's barely 10 minutes long. <laughs> and And there's a bit more clarity at pivotal moments. And and I feel like maybe that would have helped if somehow you could have ratcheted that that effect down a little bit when something when I'm supposed to see something. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. When something is is legitimately coming, is there a way that we can sort of scale this down so that we, that we can see? Uh, which I guess happens. So you know, I guess we'll step through the rest of the story. Uh, so one of the major beats is is Kaylee coming upstairs to the parents' bedroom, and then she disappears after that experience, and Kevin is left alone in the house. Like, Kaylee doesn't re Well, she does reappear at some point when the film gets a bit more confident with its actual scares. You know, but 
the next hour really is is Kevin alone in this downstairs TV room watching cartoons, falling asleep intermittently, waking back up intermittently. Um, we see someone moving his Legos around, taking them away, posing them, putting them back. Um, again, it is this entity apparently um, doing so because he wants to play with with Kevin. So, you know, just, again, very spooky. You know, we've we've seen this premise in horror films before, the isolated child. Um, not necessarily uncommonly. But that's kind of it until, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's kind of it for that hour or so. That should be the tagline of this movie. That's kind of it. <laughs> that's kind of it. I mean, like, you'll see some cool stuff. There's some good shots. I mean, again, everything is well considered. Like, I don't want to make it seem like this is a slapdash project. It's not. Like, and, and apart from some, you know, you, you mentioned the pans, because there's very little camera movement in this. That's one thing you must call out. That this is almost comprised of me insane. This, these are all static shots. They, they might as well be photographs. Yeah. You know, they are photographs with light bloom and heavy, heavy grain applied over the top of them. It reminds me of, <clears throat> you know, I'm like, I do social media stuff for a living. Mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time on social media, which I hate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love my job, but I hate social media. Um, Necessary evil at this point. It is social media filmmaking. And I, and again, I don't yeah. mean that as an insult. It's not an insult. But in, I mean, in making in social media. It is the future of, of filmmaking. Yeah. yeah. Like in making moving pictures for social media, they are very much moving pictures. Where you put your phone down, or you have a tripod, or you have a gorilla pod, or, or some sort of stationary mount for the camera for your phone. And then you capture something of like you walking into the frame, something walking into the frame, something occurring into the frame. And I know because that's what I have to do. Like I have made little movies like this and then I put them up on, you know, Instagram. God, mm-hmm. that's so stupid. Um, <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> and I guess that's why it it's it didn't I guess it didn't enrage me, but it just it ate at me while I was watching this because, and I know you're going to talk about this, but I'm going to say it first because I'm thinking about it. Um, the tripod that he uses. Mm-hmm. When he does a panning shot, you can tell that this manual tripod needs maybe a little WD-40 <laughs> because it's, it'll it's skip. Yeah. It, it sticks and you can see the hitch as the camera pans, like he didn't cut that out. He just left that in because, oh, it was a good panning shot. We better leave it in. We don't, we only have three days. Right. And that, that just felt like, why wouldn't you take that out? Why wouldn't you redo it? Why wouldn't you, you know, use a different tripod? They're not expensive. (laughs) Well, when you're going for that 70s vibe, man, 70s tripods were manual, baby. No, 
no smooth gearing on the on the tripods in the seventies. It's the kind of tiny thing that when there's so little happening in the frame. You that you, you, see you notice it. it. You get yeah. caught up in Absolutely. it. Like, oh, God, it happened again. Like, oh, God, there's only like four panning shots in this movie, and three of them have that. It sucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it's it's not a lot of movement. It's It's very, I mean, it's the kind of thing like you wake up in the middle of the night, you go downstairs, there's a weird lighting situation. So you grab a little shot of it on your phone, you know? Yeah. It, it, it it's evocative of that idea, <clears throat> but played out for, you know, a hundred minutes. Yeah. Uh, so the end of this thing, or, or as it comes to an end, Kevin is left alone. As we said, something begins speaking to him, an entity that wants to play. Um, it, Kaylee uh, disappears. She comes back after being in the bedroom, but doesn't appear to respond. He like tries to pry her and ask what happened. Um, and then he like, what does he say? I got you juice, right? Like he goes and gets juice boxes and, and tries yeah, like, to share one with her. And there's some really and she sweet moments respond. like that. That was, that was cute. Yeah. And, and then, and then she disappears and then we do eventually nobody, again, there are no faces in this film. Okay. Which is an intentional thing. There, you know, there are some dream theories that say that you can't the recognition of faces. The part of the brain that does that isn't often engaged during dreams. So it's why a lot of people report in dreams, like just blank faceless people, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And so Kaylee reappears in a, a brief little flash and she no longer has a face like her eyes and mouth are gone. And, and there's no payoff for that. Like Kevin doesn't react badly to it. So it seems like it's only really being shown to us in the audience. And then she's gone after that. She disappears. And so then um, Kevin, I think falls asleep again. I think that's the idea is he falls asleep again because we see his toy sort of fall to the floor and then things start getting taken away and, and then sent back. And eventually he goes back upstairs and when he gets to the upstairs hallway, which at this point in the film we've seen dozens of times, he gets to the upstairs hallway and he finds himself on the ceiling. He does stab himself the in the eye before that. Oh, that's right. Yes, we can't. Okay, we can't forget <clears throat> about that. So eventually the, the entity starts giving him directives, wants him to do things. And the main thing is he wants to it wants him to stab himself in the eye, <laughs> um, which I guess is tied in visually at least with the disappearance of the telephone. Um, the the phone eventually disappears. Is it after he makes the 911 call? I, I guess it is. I think it's after, yeah. Yeah. Because if it, they try the phone earlier and they try to call 911 and it's dead. Uh, and you hear them like dialing it into the touchtone phone. You know, you can hear the 911 and it's dead. So eventually he tries it again and he is able to get someone and that person's talking him through and then he drops the phone. And the phone turns into one of those little chatter telephones from the fifties. And the introduction of that was probably one of the, one of the only moments in the film that was doing that. You can see a thing sitting there and it's creepy looking, but you don't know what it is. And then a flashlight turns on and you realize it's a chatter telephone. Yeah. And, and he's having a conversation with the entity about like, did you do that? And he's like, I can do anything, you know, like this is my playground bitch. <laughs> or maybe that's what it would have said if it was like a conjuring <laughs> film. Maybe that's what a conjuring film would say in the script. Um, implying that this entity has like total control of, of the environment, right? That's why the doors and windows are gone, whatever. 
Uh, and then he, he follows the directive and he does apparently stab himself in the eye or he did before he made the 911 call. And so we see some blood on a, um, uh, cabinet door in the kitchen. Um, so we don't really know what exactly has happened, but again, if we want to go with the Kevin is having like a concussed nightmare, the, the stab in the eye, right. Or the, the injury to the face that's being mentioned here could be the injury that was caused by his fall down the stairs. And he's now justifying it by saying, Oh, I stabbed myself. Right. Cause he wouldn't remember the fall. But like, that's so, I mean, all very, we don't hey, know. I am, I'm doing a lot of the work here. Yeah. <laughs> like trying to like weave these things together into some sort of sensible, cohesive narrative. Uh, Ball does not seem interested in that at all. So he has that experience. Then one of the other more sort of graphic, horrific scenes is, I guess, as he's heading upstairs, he's around the corner in the kitchen, which again, that's a corner we've seen 30,000 times in the film. But instead of looking up at the ceiling as he typically is, he's looking down at the floor and there's blood being spattered across the floor and then taken away and spattered. And there's some screams and some sound effects. There's a lot of like, you know, talking in another room kind of sound effects in this movie where it's like, it's all muffled and sound like Yeah, like the last 20 minutes of this goes very... Uh very creepy pasta type horror. Yeah. I think like honestly, it, if you, if you carved out the last 20 minutes, maybe even the last 15 of this movie into a single short film and be very, spooky. and, and, and you had posted it to the something awful forums in 2005. Oh, yeah. Like it would, this would be one of the finest creepy pastas in, Fuck in rubber history. Johnny. This is the yeah. new terror. Forget about Ted, the cave. Oh, Fuck remember rubber guy. Johnny. Oh yes. Of course. <sighs> Good old Aphex Twin and Chris Cunningham. <laughs> and everybody thought it was real. They're like, no, this is true. This, this, is really, this really happened. happened. Yeah, man, I, I've got a cousin who lives in the UK. This is what happened. That's, that's yeah. true. Aphex Twin kept that guy in his basement. He's crazy. He's crazy. Okay. He's certainly not just a music artist. <laughs> he's from, not just a British guy Cambridge who makes electronic music. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's a murderer who also oh, has internet. a multi-million dollar contract for music making um yeah it's 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 so this and i realized about 20 minutes in that this movie is going to be very quiet and very sparse because whatever it's going to do it is saving for act three like everything is being saved for act three they're just going to drip feed enough to hopefully that you can go along and again i imagine some of that's budgetary some of it is is limitations in, in technology and what they have access to, what they can do. So I, I get it. And again, for 15 grand, this thing made like 2 million in the theater just doing festivals. So like, dude's good. And and I hope desperately that he gets the chance to do more stuff. Like, um, I, I think it's pretty cool. But so the, the final run to the upstairs is basically Kevin... He gets upstairs. He's in the hallway. Earlier, we had seen the closet doors open, you know, sort of on their own. Maybe it was one of the kids. Maybe it wasn't. And and he winds up on the ceiling. And this kind of takes us into our, our final sequence. So he's on the ceiling. He's moving down the hallway into, I guess, what is supposed to be his parents' bedroom again. It's nothing but, like what Lionel Richie said it would be. 
no, Dancing on the Ceiling seemed like a lot more fun when Lionel Richie was talking about it. This more terrifying. And so here's where I I've, I developed the idea that, I, well, let, let me say it this way. I don't think Kyle Edward Ball has ever read House of Leaves, but I think he had a friend in college who did. Yeah. And <clears throat> talked about it all the time. I think we all did. <laughs> And then Kyle Edward Ball was like, yeah, that's pretty fucked up, man. That sounds pretty cool. And and somehow that that lodged in his brain. Uh, it could be wrong. He might be a big Daniel Lewski fan. It's very possible. But in this, this final space, this final liminal, endless space, uh, Kevin is presumably sucked out of what we would traditionally refer to as his home into some other space. We just see the door sort of like fade into the distance. And then when the camera, you know, comes back after a very long time in total (laughs) darkness, um, after the camera comes back, he is in a sort of endless hallway that is vaguely itself shaped like a home, but has a tiny version, almost a racer head style of a home (laughs) surrounded by discarded Lego. And we get the text, 572 days. Implying that he's been in this space for almost two years. And he missed his birthday. It's twice, maybe. <laughs> I mean, depending on how the days fell, you don't know. Uh, and it's... That's that's shocking, right? I mean, given the sparseness of what we've seen happen here, that, that but it also is... doesn't really land at all. It's just like, no. oh, okay, so it's been yeah. a while. This he's been been here for a bit, huh? Sucks. Uh, <laughs> there's like a, t- a busted play school tape recorder with what uh, <laughs> looks like VHS tape there is, falling there out is of it. There's nothing more horrifying than analog media. Oh. Mm, the, don't the get me terror, started. Yeah. The, the, the shuddering terror of analog media. <laughs> you mean you had to flip the sides? What? <laughs> God! What hell is this? <laughs> um, and, you know, again, the imagery here, if I saw it in a TikTok, yeah, exactly. would, be it would be disturbing cool. and terrifying, <laughs> right? Like, holy shit, that's freaking weird, man. Um, but in the context of the film, it just sort of, it just sort of hangs out there. And, uh, eventually there's, uh, I, I guess a f- the, the entity and Kevin have a bit of a falling out because Kevin wants to watch something happy on the television and the entity's like, no, <laughs> I guess, I don't know. There's, there's we're no going to watch what I want to watch. No, we're going to watch another law and order rerun. Ah, it would have been uh, cool to see some Law and Order during this. It would, instead of all these uh, public, free public, <laughs> public domain cartoons. Public domain you know, cartoons. You know what's funny though is that I did have a moment where I was like, I I had VHS tapes of public domain cartoons. Oh like, yeah, bunch of them. Our grandma used to to just hoard those and then give them to us as Christmas presents, and it would be it would be like royalty free episodes of Heckle and Jekyll. <laughs> like, yeah. that's all i had to watch so i i you know i i get it yeah no i mean it's cartoons cartoon man i mean that's the way it works uh but so the the long hallway is good i mean 
whatever they would have had in terms of special effects budgets is all being expended here. Like this is where it's all going. And, uh, and there are some cool shots, some nice fades that he uses to imply, um, you know, the, the shifting distance, the endlessness of the corridor that he's currently trapped in. Then we get a scene of, of either the mom or Kaylee. I think it's Kaylee sitting in one of the bedrooms and then she just sort of fades away. Right. Just, that was neat. This is a good shot, right? Um, you know, she just slowly disappears, but they're doing some interesting composition work. Her shirt sort of is like a lampshade that's right behind her. They're doing some really cool stuff. It's it's nice. It's a good effect. And, um, you know, really the, the last section of the film is is just these... It's kind of a conversation between Kevin and the entity, whatever that may be. Um, and, and then another sort of excursion downstairs, presumably. Um, and, and then it culminates in, in what is the most overtly creepy sequence where we get a lot of photo inserts of headless or faceless people. I, this, this I think is where the Kubrick comparisons are coming from. Cause this feels very end of the shining when it's showing all the photos from, uh, it's like their memories are fading away. Yeah. You know, it's like, it, I, I, again, I get it, but that's really, that's given a lot of credit. It reminded like, oh, me he's using photos. It reminded me of back to the future when Marty was being erased. <laughs> when they get erased. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh God, not her Disney shirts going. No. <laughs> um, and and so he's still on the ceiling, right? And we get this montage of faceless children photos, black and white, blown out. Um, again, you see a couple of, I mean, again, as somebody who spent a lot of time in those forums in 2005, mm-hmm. you know, oh, and this is where the blood is. So the blood's happening here. Sorry, I, I brought that in early. Um, this is the kind of stuff that got posted, right? Because it was the the rise of Photoshop, the availability of Photoshop. And so people would take like old family photos, scan them into their computers and then just fuck with them. Right. Like, Oh, I'm going to put the slender man in the background or I'm going to take everybody's faces and turn them into these weird fucked up faces. And like, that's just the kind of shit people posted. And then they'd come up with some dumbass story to explain it. Oh, this was the birthday party where everyone died. Right. That kind of thing. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it, it was effective. It was a fun little scare, right? It took 10 minutes to read. You looked at the pictures and you went, huh, yeah, it was a good, it's, um, but we're, you know, we're a hundred minutes in here, folks. Yeah. For me, I, I loved <laughs> short form horror, both visual or, or written. I loved it because back then movies came out at a slower pace and they were not available as quickly and horror movies were not the giant machine that they are now. So it felt no, like that was we've talked about horror movies in the 2000s yeah. and what just the shit show that that decade was for horror. There were some standouts, absolutely yeah. good, some good stuff, but most of the horror being produced between <sighs> zero, zero to 10 uh, were just garbage. Films. And the good stuff just was garbage. few and far between like movies just did not have the distribution that they do right now. So, mm. Those kinds of experimental horror that filled the gap. Um, 
at least for me, I loved it because it was it was like, ah, you know, this is a bite size. Well, again, his channel name is bite size nightmares, the little things that I can digest easily and, mm-hmm. and they'll keep me going until next year. There will be a good horror movie that I can go and see in the theater. Um, but now <sighs> there's so much. We're in the midst of a horror glut, right? Yeah, now, for sure. And I, and I, I think that's why people have responded to this is because it yeah. is very not like what we're getting most of the time now, which is good. It is. But I, I also, I feel like I might be a bit spoiled. Maybe that's why this doesn't this doesn't hit with me as much as it could. Mm-hmm. That I I don't know. It's something is missing. Like I said, I think your 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 statement about it doesn't really ever mesh into a cohesive whole is is really the most telling thing. Like in in isolation, there are truly incredible moments in Skinnerick. Right. Yeah. It, there are little things that happen that go like that. It was great. Right. Like the, the blood sequence as he comes back down out of the liminal space and and he is is, you know, coming down to the, the living room or wherever it is again, you know, and he sees the blood around the corner and then it gets wiped up and then it comes back and, and whatever. Um, that's that's a good sequence. Like it's it's a nicely shot sequence. It looks good. It's disturbing combined with the audio effects fine right i see that in a in a in a clip on on tiktok sure scary yeah. shit um but as the payoff for a hundred minutes of static shots of hallways and ceilings i don't know right like i'm not there um but the final moment the moment that i think probably got the most attention from that tiktok crowd is the end of the film, the final shot. So he comes back downstairs. He sees someone being killed, presumably, or some blood being spilled. And then we're treated to what I expected to see throughout the film, right? To look into that dark hallway and see something sort of hovering just on the realm of my visibility. And and that's really the final payoff. And, and we see a, a head, a disembodied face. Again, it's not really a face. It doesn't have all the facial features. Um, but it is, is speaking. The filter laid over the top of it gives it a sense of movement that it's not really, doesn't really do. It's not really doing, but it makes it feel sort of ethereal and esoteric. And, and it, it has a conversation. And the way that it's positioned, it almost seems like it's having the conversation with the audience. Yeah. Right? Like. It's speaking to the audience because it asks some pointed questions It's or it, it says to go to sleep, right? Like that's it's time, which again, if we want to go back to the concussed child metaphor here, you know, the dad takes the, the kid back up to bed. We've moved through the house in these like liminal ways. Nothing makes sense. The world is confusing. And then it's the the hovering face of the parent in the darkness trying to help the child get back. Yeah, to was sleep. any of this even real? Right. Like, who knows? You know, um, again, I, I think most people will want to take a more traditional horror read on this, that this is the entity, the monster, the, the creature, whatever you want to call it. Sure. I mean, whatever. Um, yeah. But it, it is truly like the the sort of visual payoff for all of the things that we've been waiting on. Um, and it's creepy. I mean, it, it is undoubtedly creepy. Like it is, it is an effective 
you know, minute and a half of a floating faceless head floating in darkness. But it's up to you to decide if that's enough. Right. I mean, it's also the kind of thing that, you know, in a, in a lesser horror film, we'll call it anyway, you know, like the characters would be standing in a room having a conversation with a TV on in the background. And then like the TV would switch and it would just be this like hovering floating face. Like it's, it's that kind of effect basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's nothing that you haven't seen before, but in the context of the the level of creepiness for the rest of the film, you know, it, it is payoff. Just, is it enough? That is, that is the question. Uh, it may always be the question. <laughs> is this <laughs> enough, enough payoff? Um, and you know, so I I think both of us, you know, we can kind of wrap this up. There's really not much more to say about Skinnerink. I feel like in a lot of ways we were overthinking this thing, um, but I, you know, ultimately for me, it's an interesting experience and one that if you have access to Shutter and you want to check it out, I I don't think it's it's miserable, right? It, it's a tough watch because it's so unconventional, right? I mean, there's a reason why a lot of avant-garde film is not feature length. Let's put it that way. I I would probably endorse watching this in the way that I don't watch movies. Um, like when I watch movies, the lights are off. There's no talking. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, like a few words back and forth, but like we'll pause if we need to say something. If there's something um, that needs to be said, sure. I'm I'm one of those people who's like, it needs to be similar to a theater, but I can like go to the bathroom if I need to. Um, this may actually be a movie that's better with a small group. That's better if there is some light conversation, if you're not really stressed about paying super close attention to what's going <laughs> on. Cause I don't think you need to, I, I don't think this movie has anything to show you that is so riveting that you can't like casually watch this. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I I felt like I was going to miss something. I thought I was under the impression that this movie was going to be like, oh, you better watch closely because there's going to be a hidden terror. But not, no, <laughs> it's just, it is what it is. Yep. Yeah, don't, uh, don't go into it expecting that kind of experience because it's not going to yeah. give that to you. It's, it doesn't seem interested in giving that to you. Um, you know, the film ends with this floating head and then someone off screen, like it's not a voice we hear, keeps asking, what's your name? Right. Like that's what the the subtitles tell us. What's your name? What's your name? And we don't know if it's coming from the entity to the audience or from the audience to the entity. Like, what are you? Who are you? Blah, blah, blah. Um, so, I mean, I, I think it's doing interesting things. This is definitely a guy that I will be interested to see what he is able to do next. Right. That is, that is really the reason I think to be aware of Skinamarink is that with a budget, with a more conventional narrative at his disposal, to bring some of these ideas and some of this way of perceiving the world and this sort of like tightly controlled concept for how the camera should move and where it should be positioned and tied to the characters, I, I would be very interested to see what this guy is able to do with a sort of mini budget horror film right i, I would you know, love to see how he how he directs actors 
Yes, because that's the piece of this that's just totally missing. And probably the piece that, that, as you said, will be the most kind of disorienting is that there are literally no people in this movie, right? Um, they're, they're there, but they're in the periphery of what's going on. It's really about the, 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 the eye of the camera, you as the audience looking through that eye, and then the stuff that it's showing you. That's, that is all that's happening here. Um, and, and it's a, a very unique experience for a modern film because most of the, most of the films that try to do these kinds of things, it's relegated to a short sequence or, you know, a very specific sort of goal, you know, Michael Bay ain't ever going to do any of this stuff, let's put it that way, Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's fine. That's good, right? Horror should be as an, an, I think it's good that horror is a space that's more accepting of this kind of experimentation. And that's good because we need this kind of experimentation. Um, I was reminded of like early Lynch, you know, there, there's definite eraser head mm-hmm. vibes here. Um, like I said, specific pointed call outs at a few times. And then just definitely again, the overall sort of vibe of, of the awkwardness and the discomfort of those films. Again, I think ball is a ways away from being David Lynch. Like, that comparison is like, well, he's David Lynch in college, right? Yeah, like this is somebody you know? who clearly enjoys those movies, or at least I, I hope so. Um, yeah, oh, for sure. It's got to be the influences, for sure. And and I like that I can see good influences, but they're they're just sort of, they're a bit wasted in this because they don't seem to have anything behind them. There's no... There's no real narrative thrust with this. There's no there's no thread that runs through it. Like even a movie like Mulholland Drive, which is very much dreamy. It's a very dreamy film. That's all there is to it. It still has threads. Like it still has something to sort of pull the audience through it. And this doesn't. Yes. There was an interesting quote. I read an article with Ball in Vulture. And, and they kind of asked him about his goals for the film. And, and he had this quote that I thought was pretty telling. He said his goal was to create a sense of uncanny apprehension as if Satan directed a movie and got an AI to edit it. And I like AI that. would make weird choices like, yeah, I'm just going to hold on this hallway of nothing for a while. Right. Like that's that's what he's trying to do. So the film is not bouncing its way into this structure without intention. And I, I hope I haven't made it feel like I, I think this is a directionless film. It's just, he's doing things in such a way that are designed to place the, it places the fear into the mind of the audience and the audience alone, yeah. right? It's not using film techniques to create fear in the traditional sense. It's just presenting you with images. And then because those images touch upon very primal, very basic fears and, and, and instincts. He's allowing you to create what he called his, you know, uncanny apprehension, which is which, why this movie is, is challenged to watch. Cause you are constantly on edge for a thing that doesn't ever really come, yeah. you know? And it does. I mean, AI is a, a good way to put it because I hate AI anything. Like I just, I hate it, but I do find it just sort of inherently unsettling. Um, yes. And it always I can't, makes the slightly wrong choice. Yeah, and I can't, I can't really put my my finger 
all all 23 of my fingers. It's a little AI art joke for you, listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't really put my finger on on what is so unsettling about it, but it's just there and I don't like it. So it nails that. Um, I don't know if I don't know if I want to see more of that. I mean, I'm intrigued. I'll watch what he does next. I would love yes, to see and- that technique put to use in something else. This movie gives me the same kind of potential vibes as that as Blair Witch, as Paranormal Activity, right? These people with a clear idea and a, and a and a low budget, sort of trying to execute on a concept well, and keeping that concept limited and focused enough that they can execute it within their their sort of you know within their their constraints. And so directors who are capable of doing that and doing that well, typically they're able to move into other spaces and, and be really successful. And I think Ball is positioned to do that. Um, I, I imagine if Shutter is smart, and they seem to be pretty good in terms of streaming service sort of management at this point. If Shutter is smart, they have already locked this guy in to do two to three small original films for the service. That's what they should be. That's the conversation that should be taking place right now. Small budget. Like I'm thinking again, I hate when, um, when an indie director who got super successful on a small film, you know, Marvel rides up with their truck full of money and says like, Hey, you want to direct Avengers four? Sometimes it works out. Sometimes that absolutely is fine. But this guy needs like $100,000, two good actors to put in a room with each other, and then just let him go make something. He needs to be Panos Cosmatos. Absolutely. Give him money and see what happens. (laughs) See what happens. Because that was another person I thought of a lot, especially with the color saturation, the film grain the sort of you know flashing lights everywhere, everything illuminated by television. Mandy has a ton of that shit in it, um, you know. But Cosmatos is at his core a traditional film storyteller, right? He's telling stories, and this is not quite to that level yet, you know. Cause it would be great for Kyle Edward Ball to go intern with Panos Cosmatos on his next film yeah. and just sort of see how the dude works, right? Because he's the kind of guy that could could do something in that realm, but make it really unique and really special. Um, so, I mean, you know, I guess we can really wrap up here. We're kind of, you know, circling the same set of ideas over and over again. But the simple fact is, is that Skinnamarink is not the slam dunk I hoped it would be. I hoped that I was about to embark upon a truly, I don't want to say revolutionary, but to a certain extent, kind of revolutionary horror experience that was going to kick off this new world of micro budget, super high concept, you know, horror, you know, explosion of like people with cameras in forests doing whatever. And, and this isn't that it's just not, Yeah, it, it, it isn't, it's, it's perfectly serviceable. It's, it's quite good if you're willing to accept that this is what it is and it's nothing more than that. But it could very well mark the beginning of a very interesting career in horror filmmaking. 
And so for that alone, I think it is worth noting and sort of adding it to your, your mental lexicon of film uh, because it is going to be copied. The, the success of this and the low, the, the sort of low stakes, low budget nature of how it was made. We're going to see a bunch of these real fast and they're going to be awful. Uh, they're going to be so bad, but we're going to see people try to replicate this quickly. So hopefully ball is, is not resting on the balls of his feet. (laughs) 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 Sorry. Um, And, and he is, is already moving forward with his next set of projects so that he can kind of keep this train rolling because he's certainly interesting. Like I said, and there are moments and sequences in Skinnamarink that will, will linger in your mind. The unfortunate reality is that it's, it's, that's only about 10 minutes of the movie and the other 90 ish minutes are a, a whole lot of B roll that's that looks cool and is, is nicely put together, but it ain't going to be a lot of stuff happening. And if you're a person that watches movies to see stuff happen, you, you might be disappointed. Just look. I'm, I'm about the same. I, I'm not saying don't watch it, but you know, all those reviews that we were suspicious of that were like, if this is, I mean, if you can get what this movie's laying down, but it's true. If, if you can, then yes, absolutely watch this. Um, I don't, I don't find this exciting. I mean, we brought up our boy, Panos Cosmatos. We did. Um, yes. Sweet, sweet I don't, boy. I don't get excited by this in the way that I get excited about that dude's movies. But I feel like this might be the start of something. This might be the start of a very interesting career. I hope. Mm. Um, I hope all of the skin and marinky dink doesn't doesn't overshadow this this kid's gift. I keep calling him a kid. Like I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm you're a fully grown adult. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I am older than you. Uh, more than likely, yes. I, I have feelings mid to late twenties. That's my guess, but hard to say. So, you know, I do think it's it's going to be one to watch, but it needs a bit more time. I mean, he needs just more time to find out how to apply these techniques that he's really gotten a handle on in short form, in long form. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, because I think that's really where this is coming from. Heck, as a 30-minute experimental film, works remarkably well. But the expansion of time to the theatrical run is where things fell apart just a little bit. But again, it's it's one of those things, if you can get into the horror atmosphere, like I, I read the Collider review of it, which gave it an A+, and I, I forget the title. It was something like, um, let me find it, Kyle Edward Ball's feature debut is a horror masterpiece. This modern horror nightmare is the type of experience that must be seen in theaters as a demonstration of the full potential of the cinematic form. Oh, stop it. Now I I made the point earlier that I think watching this in a, in a darkened theater probably would have enhanced the experience because in a darkened theater, most of the screen is dark at the same time. And you would have lost touch with reality at some point. (laughs) Right. Like at some point I'm just going to be like, what is happening? Where am I? Who am I? And maybe that's the point. Maybe that's what he's trying to do all along. Um, But like the real skin of a ring, (laughs) the real skin of a ring was the friends we made along the way. Hey, Uh, (laughs) 
but the the uh but the simple fact is is that no i mean there's not many people got to see this film that way most people saw it on shutter via streaming service on a shit-ass tv in a, in a barely yeah. lit room like that's how people are going to see this and if your film doesn't work that way too then it doesn't work that way right and and that's something that you know should be considered at this point. I mean, that's part of the filmmaking experience. Um, I, I don't, I don't feel like I can get behind the statement that this is the, the ultimate expression of the cinematic form. No, if your concept of the cinematic form is being able to create emotion with nothing but sound and picture, then skin and and, and avant-garde film of its ilk, that is how it functions. That's what they're trying to do. Right. They are literally trying to show you a picture, share a sound in outside of the traditional, you know, techniques of film narrative and create a sensation. And Skinnamarink depends upon that. That's how it works. So I don't necessarily think that's a wrong statement that it is it is a more quote unquote purely cinematic experience. Um Oddly enough, that's often what David Lynch is maligned for, is that he puts <laughs> sound and images together without explanation. And people are like, what's this then? How can oh, I need a character to tell me what to feel and think? So it's very funny that, you know, people get like all up in David Lynch's business for Mulholland Drive, having a tiny person behind a dry, behind a diner, have a conversation. And then like they watch Skinnamarink and they're like, it's a pure expression of the cinematic form. <laughs> it's like, OK, yeah, calm down. Like I said, I, I believe in hyping independent film and a lot of places like Collider, Collider's a shit website, so we all know this. Um, <laughs> but a lot of places like Collider, they 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 feel it's their function to bring these kinds of things to people, right? And be like, because you'll never see this, right? Like they know that. <laughs> like by the time the review was published on, let me look here, January 11th, its theatrical run ended on like January 13th, right? <laughs> like, yeah. So, He's like, you got two days to get to one of 12 theaters in the country that's playing this movie to have an expression of the ultimate cinematic form. It's like, shut the shut the fuck up, man. Stop it. But this article, you know, then gets chewed into the Google machine. And when it shows up on Shutter, and people are like, what the fuck is Skinnamarink? They find this review and they're like, that's a pure expression of the cinematic form. <laughs> I have to <laughs> like, see oh, it. I've got to see it. Oh, my God. Uh, I do think it's interesting that the the image on shutter that they are using for Skinnamarink is the one <laughs> image in the film where you see a character's face. Yeah. I thought that was a like telling choice, right? Because there is literally one shot in the movie from behind of Kevin in the dark, turning to camera, just, right, just the side of his face and just the side of his face. Literally the only shot of a character's face in the film. <laughs> That's the one. That's using. it. <laughs> the thumbnail. Because they're like, uh, well, we can't just put a hallway. That's not interesting. It's got to be a person because movies have people in them. Or do, do they? they? <laughs> do they? Skinnamarink doesn't. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, it, it's just kind of funny. But anyway, so uh, I do not think it is a a, a pure expression of the cinematic form and a horror masterpiece, but it is a very interesting expression of the types of horror that we are seeing in this internet TikTok age executed in a traditional film style. Yeah. Or, or in a traditional film, you know, in 
form, a traditional film form. Like they're just, just trying to do the hundred minute feature out of a thing that generally is only going to exist in a 15 second TikTok. And so let's, that's cool. And if you pulled that off and people get into it, then I think it's a net positive for the entire genre. I agree. And again, the aesthetic, the vibe, the seventies, heavy grain, the, the titles at the beginning and the end. Very cool. But, but understand tons of people are doing that shit right now. Poker face is doing that. Like poker face is doing the seventies style titles again. So that's just a trend. Like that's not like, that's not him being like, and it's, it's have, not even I have a pure understanding of cinema. That's not that. It's just that kind of shit is cool again. And that's, it doesn't even really fit with this movie anyway. The seventies. It goes aesthetic. out of its way to say that this is 1995. <laughs> I would have thought it would have been much more appropriate to do, to do VHS effects. Same. I, like that, I said that while we were watching it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it is supposed to be 1995, it's a 1995 era console television. There's a VCR sitting on top of it throughout the entire film. I would have thought that from a, from a purely cohesive concept standpoint, this would all be VHS effects and VA, you know, and, and, you know, tracking roles and, and stuff like that. Like, that's what I was expecting. But not those are not as trendy and those are a little played out because VHS effects were some of the earliest things that the, the kind of liminal spaces and back rooms and early, like, social media horror stuff, that's what they used. Right. And I think, I think those are like the opposite of cool now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and maybe that's why cool, for sure. Yeah, maybe that's why Whereas people aren't that, using like, them. That like Texas Chainsaw Massacre low rent 16 millimeter horror that's big. spatter vibe. That's big again. It's very big again. So, uh, you know, again, there's this is a calculated move. I, I don't like it when film directors are put into this like, oh, he's just an he's just an auteur. He's just he's just following his instincts. He's just looking at what he wants to express from the deepest regions of his mind, right? Like that kind of bullshit, okay. which are, there are a lot of articles like that about Skinner Inc. as well. I'm not into that because being a film director and assembling a film from its myriad pieces requires precision yeah. and focus, right? Like, again, I know I've been talking about David Lynch a lot, but people think that David Lynch just walks into a room and starts like, Ah, let's film over here, guys. Let's get this corner. We'll put Kyle over here and we'll put this. And it's because we have a lot of footage of him doing that. (laughs) Right. But like, that's him knowing exactly what he wants and then experimenting to get the ideal version of it. Right. Like he, like David Lynch is not like, this isn't jazz, right? He's not walking. He's not Bob Fosse on the stage being like, let's just make the hips move, baby. Right. It's not that at all. Like it's, it's very precise. He knows exactly what he's looking for. And this feels the same, right? Like, yes, it's just a lot of darkened hallways, but there there's very specific progressions of the lighting and how the lighting changes. Like this, there's a ton of thought that went into this movie. So ball seems like a, a, pretty capable technician he sort of has vision he wants to execute and and i think that that's good because i think if he does want to continue on and move into for lack of a better term mainstream horror he's going to need to sort of you know step up some elements to do that if he stays in this this realm and just keeps doing independent stuff then yeah sky's the limit man do what you want 
See what happens. Again, if Shutter has not already locked this dude down for two more, at least two more projects, then they are leaving money on the table. Um, but we'll see. Uh, maybe maybe uh, Jason Bloom already called him up and he's like, how much money do you want? Where do you want to work? I'll do whatever you want. I'll pay you whatever you want. Doesn't matter. People were you tweeting know. about your movie. Yeah. Well, you do you want a budget? <laughs> you were popular on Twitter for 15 minutes. Do you want to make a horror film for Blumhouse? Let's do this. And and I we're making fun, but that would be cool. <laughs> yeah, no. I, if that gives him his, ch- his shot, do it, man. I'm good. Um, yeah, no. So so Skin of Marink is is a pretty kind of meh thing for me. Not huge, uh, not ground breaking, not earth shattering, but a a solid and enjoyable for the most part little excursion into the nightmares and dreamscapes of this particular dude's head. And and again, the last 20 minutes of this movie, there's some really good stuff in there, like really solid stuff. Very cool. But it's a slog to get there. Like if you go in, like not expecting a lot, then I think this would be a pleasant surprise, which is maybe where some of those glowing reviews are coming from. Maybe those people sat down. They were at a festival, did no idea what this thing was. Sure. You know, I, and again, they may have been high. And I, you know, I don't know what this movie would be like when high, but maybe it would it be really cool. It is Fantastic Fest, man. No, I'm just yeah, I'm sure that's with, with any additions of substances to change your generalized perception of the world, you could probably freak yourself all the way out with yeah. this movie. For sure. Yeah. Um. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, any final thoughts on Skinamarinka Dinkadoo? Uh, no. <laughs> I think I've said everything <laughs> that I could ever say. Yeah, we've about we've this actually movie. got longer than I expected <laughs> to go on this one. Um, I guess I, the last thing I'll note is: is the title Skinamarink uh, is what now is considered a fairly famous children's song. Uh, I think what Jimmy Durant, it was from like an old, an old play from like the 1800s or early 1900s. And then Jimmy Durant, brought it back in the fifties. Skinamarinka, dinka, dink, skinamarinka, do, you know, like, Something like that stuff. And then it's been picked up and now it's like a staple amongst like children's shows. Right. Like I said, I'm pretty sure. That I watched an episode of Lamb it, Chop when I was um, a kid where she I, sang it. I can tell um, you exactly where I heard it. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the bananas in pajamas? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. They did it on there. I yeah. believe it. I was there. I saw it. Everybody loves the bananas in pajamas. Uh, I mean, I watched it. I won't, maybe that's why Terrifying. I like all this. All this creepy pasta stuff because I watched really weird shit like bananas and pajamas. Yeah. What the fuck? The nineties were a weird time in children's entertainment. <laughs> what are we kids like? Oh Teletubbies, no. <laughs> Barney, bananas and pajamas. Yeah. All was, of those pop up in this kind of internet horror circle. All of those things. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like horror I mean, teletubbies. That's that's yeah. thing. <laughs> I mean, we all internalize those things as we grow and and you know, later we come back to them and go like, this was actually really screwed up. Like this was yeah, messed up. Why did we watch that? Who was letting this us was, watch this? Was, this? <laughs> this was actually terrifying. And I'm now, you know, haunted. My dreams are haunted by these bananas in these pajamas, you know? Uh, but yes. So, uh, Skinamarink, uh, 
middling recommendation. If you have access to Shutter and 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 you want to check it out, I I think it's worth checking out for sure. Um, but don't be afraid to. I hate to say that, but like really, the good stuff visually in this film is at the end. Like there's some the the bedroom sequence about twenty twenty five minutes in, and then like the last. 20 minutes of the movie are really the most like interesting to me from a horror standpoint. But again, if you watch this in the dark, watch it alone, (laughs) have no one else around, uh, watch it alone and, and like invest yourself in it, right? Don't let yourself get bored and like check Twitter or TikTok or whatever, like stay in it. I think that in those circumstances, it's probably going to work the best. But it's it's Maybe. it's rough. It's rough. Like, it's just hard. It's just there's not much happening, uh, and you kind of have to embrace that. So, qualified recommendation, but uh, one that I think may be a piece of the conversation of of modern horror moving forward. And hopefully, Ball gets the chance to continue to explore some of these ideas and do cool things. Because it I is think with he's great hesitation that we recommend you see Skin and yes. Break. Yes, like it. It's not a run out and check it out must see. It's it's just not not for me anyway. No. Um, but it it certainly is a curious item of of this current horror landscape, and and probably worth checking out if you consider yourself a horror aficionado, just to be aware of it, and, and what it's trying to do. But all right, well, if anybody wants to find you on the internet and uh, type out all of the words to skinnamarinkadinkadoo. Uh, where can they find you? Well, you can you can find me making little social media horrors uh, on Twitter at Baskinator. Nice. And uh, elsewhere, and course, I'm also on TikTok. Same you are. name. Yes. Yes. I'm in uh, Instagram. Fun. Same name. I'm Insta-baby. everywhere. Baby. <laughs> I'm everywhere. I'm. Ha- I'm. You can't get away from me. I'm even on high nope. social. Oh thing. my god. Yeah. Nice. All right, well, you can get me at T Baskin if you want to swing by and share your thoughts on Kyle Edward Ball's Superior Heck short film found on YouTube. Um, but uh, yeah, we will be back. If you want to get us together at uh, Failure Peace, at G, uh, well, I guess we're F Peace Theater on Twitter and Failure Peace at gmail.com if you want to send a longer missive. Um, but we'll be back to talk about another uh, film, some hot property out there, just waiting to be analyzed for its goodness, whether or not it is a failure piece. They can't all be winners, but they might just be worth your time. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.